Welcome to Canucks After Dark. Here are your hosts, Parker Hallowell and Clay Emo. Good evening, Vancouver, and welcome back to Canucks After Dark. A rare Canucks After Dark after a Vancouver Canucks win tonight uh, after what has been an absolutely atrocious road trip, an atrocious last sort of 15 games. Uh, but we're going to at least uh, have a few minutes of joy and relief talking about this Canucks win. Uh, and then we'll, of course, or before that, we'll talk about the three rough Canucks losses before this game. Uh, and what this sort of means for uh, the team moving forward. As always, joined by my co-host, Canuck Clay. How are you doing today, Clay? Parker, I am great. I am I love joy, as you know, but I know we like to go, at least I like to go chronologically, so it might take a few minutes to get to that joy, I guess, right? Yeah, we're going to have to go through some pain, uh, some suffering, okay, and uh, just some, some pretty bad losses uh, for the Canucks. And it's been a... It's just been a rough, it's been a rough while, right? The uh, sort of, you know, we, we're used to the sort of February, March, death march that begins. Um, but having it in like the middle of November is a whole, uh, a whole new ride for us. Yeah. And then you, I, I know there, there's a lot of other more important pressing things going on, but this is a Canucks after dark. This isn't, you know, weather after dark or whatever. So if we're talking about the Canucks, it's, it's been rough. It's been rough. And we, you know, we've talked about the bad road trip and the bad homestand and then the start of a bad road trip again. But maybe today was a was a sliver of hope. But I, chronologically, I will I will calm myself and I'll patiently wait. Yeah. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. Of course, we're going to talk about the four games that have happened since the last time we talked, wow. um, of which some of our predictions came true. Well, yours uh, did. We're going to talk about uh, the Canucks being at the very bottom of the Pacific Division. Uh, which is very fun. We're going to talk about this whole Travis Green scenario where he's basically got one foot out the door, but he's the only one facing media, all that stuff. We'll get into that more in depth. We've got media wars to talk about. We can take sides. We can start drama um, as Clay loves to do. Um, And then we'll talk about some other stuff later on, uh, as we always do, and take your questions in the final 15 minutes or so. Would you like to get started with uh, a few losses? on this lovely Monday night. Uh, And we will start with uh, Wednesday. The Canucks didn't play Tuesday. So our first game to cover here is Wednesday, the 24th, Pittsburgh for Vancouver one. Now, Parker, this was the first game of the five game road trip. And is this the one where they actually came out really flat, but they actually escaped the first period zero, zero, but then they were actually better than they were in the first and the second, but Pittsburgh scored three goals. That was that weird one, right? Yeah, the Canucks had an atrocious first period. Uh, okay. Basically, they were stuck in their own zone the entire time. Um, the Canucks penalty kill had uh, had two chances, or, and they they survived at least the period. Uh, but yeah, shots in the first period were 16-9, to nine, uh, which I think was the second most shots they faced in a period to that point. I think the record was 17 against uh, Vegas earlier in the season. Um, but the first period was uh, was rough. Uh, they they were basically stuck in their own zone the whole time. And then, yeah, like you said, they go to the second period and that one of the power plays that came over from the first period, a Kyle Burroughs penalty, uh, led to a power play goal. And then they scored two more in the second period. And then Horvat gets one back for the Canucks in the third. But then I can't remember now, honestly, if the fourth Pittsburgh goal was empty netter or not, was it? Uh, it was Brock McGinn with a minute to go. So I would assume so. Cause the Canucks do like to pull the goalie early. Uh, yes, <laughs> it was, uh, it was the goaltender was pulled with three minutes to go in this game. Uh, and it was Brock McGinn. And yeah, like you said, the second period was closer shots in the second were 16 to 15 in favor of the Canucks and the third period, 12 to six. Now the third hmm. period sort of score effects playing into that, right? Canucks down three goals entering the period. Uh, Pittsburgh's just going to be playing, you know, prevent defense, but um, the first game of the, of this road trip, the Canucks go, they score one goal, they allow four, and it was a kind of a statement of things to come. It was. And especially after the Canucks didn't make any moves on the ice or off the ice in that homestand, we didn't know if they were going to wait till after one game after five games, but four, one is not the way to start. And it got people talking well, all these games got people talking, but not the best start for sure. Yeah, it was rough, and uh, they followed it up on Friday in Columbus. They go to Columbus, and once again, they allow yes. four goals. 
Uh, this time, though, they double their own goal total, getting up to two goals scored. Um, two, yeah. Yeah. Big, big and, improvement. And But they all shot Columbus. Wasn't this 41 to 21 or yes, something crazy? They, they doubled the, the Blue Jackets in, in shots, and this was sort of our first moral victory of the week. And <laughs> it was one of those things where it was kind of worst-case scenario, if you're whatever you're rooting for, right? If you're rooting for the Canucks to win games, it's bad. If you're rooting for the Canucks to lose games so that people get fired. Well, well, the Canucks outshot them 41-21. They ran into a hot goalie. They didn't get the goaltending performance they needed. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. Uh, and and you can easily paint yourself into that corner of, well, I mean, the, the Canucks are the better team. They just couldn't get the win. And they, uh, I, I wouldn't say, Parker, that they dominated the game, but even though the shot total might dictate so, but they controlled certainly a lot of areas of the game and they weren't the second best team out there. That's for sure. So, yes, great point about the moral victory. Great point about do you delay any change because you're, we're going to see a common theme here. Do you delay any change because they actually played pretty good on the road against a decent team? So, but after this game, they're 0 2 um, and slipping further and further. Yeah. And the big story of this game to me was just the lapses defensively. Because um, <laughs> again, like Columbus only had 21 shots, but they, they, their goals came off of like prime scoring chances, right? Prime scoring chances the team of 21 shots shouldn't get. Um, I think, I don't remember looking at the analytics, but I think I, if I remember correctly, it was like pretty close expected goals wise, even though the Canucks had doubled them in shots because you look at a lot of the shots and it's like, okay, well, half of them are from the outside or from the point, uh, which has also been a real trend with the Canucks. Um, and, you know, they we're at the we're at the point of the season where it's way too late for moral victories, right? A moral victory gets us nowhere uh, because you got to find a way to win. You got to find a way to score more than two goals in a game. And it's crazy that there are four games in these seven days. I don't know. I know you have a pretty good memory and you sometimes pull up the things, but I, I can't remember who scored. I can't remember how they scored. I can't remember the goals were nice. Do you have yep. it in front of you? I, yeah. Yeah. We had Tyler Mott's first of the season uh, uh, yes. in the, in the second period. Um, and also the first goal, the other goal the Canucks scored was Vasily Pod Colson. Oh yeah, uh, with that rocket of a uh, wrist, or when he was in the two-on-one with Elias Pettersson. And then yeah, Tyler Mott had the tip on the Hughes shot that was like a mile wide. Um, that you know the rare scenario where that point shot works. Uh, yeah. But other than that, I mean, it was you know Columbus getting the four goals. Uh, kind of do you in there? That Pod Colson goal was nice. I remember um, he he really disguises his release well. And it's a hard shot. Just I don't know if it's all the guys from that area, uh, you know, of the world. And I'm not trying to be whatever because we see we saw Klimovich's hard shot too. Podkolzin got a hard shot, but it's uh, thirty four goals, four goals a quarter way of the season. Extrapolate that to twenty goals, uh, sixteen goals. Excuse me, and he missed a couple games as a healthy scratch. Not a bad start, a quietly strong start or a decent start for our rookie. Yeah, if you have a rookie putting up, you know, call it 15, 16 goals, uh, playing fourth line minutes, right? We're seeing him play, you know, 10 to 13 minutes a night. Uh, you'd happily take that, right? Yes. Uh, get him some more ice time when you're talking about a 20, 25 goal scorer. And, uh, you know, you're pretty happy with that uh, for, a, for a young Russian coming out here. Yes, I agree with you. And uh, he'll be, you know, not tonight because the Canucks were winning. I know we're going to get to it, but he didn't see a lot of ice tonight. But uh I, it looks like Green is starting to trust him at least a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah, and I think I think it was the uh, was it this game that Pod Colson had l- late game ice time. He played 15 minutes yes. in the game against Columbus, and yeah. when the Canucks needed a goal, uh, you know, of course, before they pulled the goalie and and allowed a goal. Um, <laughs> actually, no, that wasn't. Oh, I'm on the wrong. Uh, I'm on the wrong notes here. Uh, okay, but I think it was a uh, no. This they actually, I think it was an empty netter. The Domi goal. Yeah. So, yes. So they're down by a goal and they're actually putting Paul Colson out there. They're utilizing him in these opportunities where they need a goal. And I mean, why wouldn't you, right? He, he's shown that he at least has the touch. He has the the drive to score goals and he's just having fun out there. Yeah. They'll use Pod Colson when they need a goal. They certainly, at least not yet, won't use him when they're defending or trying to prevent a goal. I have a question for you since you bring up the Domi empty netter. I don't know what the mood was like on your post game um, stream, Parker. Were you upset with pd's effort or lack thereof on the empty netter or were you whatever i kind of missed it uh at yeah. first because i wasn't that focused like when they scored i was like oh here they're gonna score and i started typing uh started yeah. taking notes i didn't really i didn't really notice that okay um okay. what do you think he could have prevented the goal if he had oh well 
they said on the broadcast, so we all know that Max Domi is a faster skater than Elias Pettersson. So, right. so whether it's an angle or trying to rub him out the boards, a hook, a slash, a trip, anything, because you're already down 3-2 and Domi's got an empty net. But they were saying on the broadcast, PD could have dove and at least slowed him up a little bit to make him think or have to pass the puck. That's what they made. That's the point they made on the broadcast. Yeah, I'm just I just watched it. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like he also could have just gone hard to the post and tried to block yep. the puck. Even, uh, yeah, definitely kind of kind of a rough look there, to be honest. Um, what did you put in now, Twitter? PD PD empty net. No, I just, well, I'm just on NHL.com and they okay. have a little link there. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, he, I, he could have stopped it and turned up the other way or, you know, just blocked it with a backhand, p- played it up. I think it was, uh, definitely a doable play. And, and that is kind of frustrating now that I see it, but again, <laughs> um, I, I don't know what I can really say about it. Yeah. Okay. So four two, a better effort than Pittsburgh, but still a loss. So that means they win the next one, right? Yeah. They have to go to Boston, <laughs> a place where they have had a hard time in the past, uh, and they again score just two goals. And this is a game that was winnable. Uh, yeah. It was a game that they they ride into the third period, sort of getting ahead of ourselves here, but they ride into the third period with a two-goal lead, and then they take some penalties and lose. So it starts out with a with a Tanner Pearson goal. Um, oh, yeah. It was Mucky ugly. Goal. It was yeah. very ugly. It's just sort of like Allmark sort of messed up, and it just like slides just over the goal line, and it's a total mess. It's one nothing, uh, And then... Boston ties it right away. It's Anton Bleed, who I had literally never heard of. Uh, I I had to Google him up, or I had to Google him. He was yeah. uh, like 46 NHL games, 26 years old, third NHL goal. Um, so tied one one after one. Uh, pretty even first period though. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the Canucks were getting a bit of praise there, saying, "All right, you know, kind of came out decent first period." Uh, second period though, uh, Canucks were probably the better team, and it and they end up scoring. Uh, this is after a goal is actually let's yeah, go back a little bit because the Canucks had a goal that was Connor Garland in the first period that got disallowed because Hoaglander was offside. Beautiful yeah. goal. And then the Bruins score in the second period and it's disallowed because uh, Nosek is an elite soccer player and yeah, he was- left foot to right foot and in uh, beautiful play. No argument when it was immediately waved off. Um <laughs> Uh, and then Connor Garland gets one that counts. Um, yeah. And uh, another beautiful goal because uh, Connor Garland's just so good. Uh, and by that, I mean he shot it and fanned on it, and the goaltender missed it. Yeah. Allmark wasn't the strongest goaltender. I, I joked around on Twitter that, that that my son Jacob thought his name was Walmart, uh, as in always yeah. open. But it was pretty bad. That first goal, leaving it for Pearson to punch in. The second goal, kind of you're right fanned and went through him right didn't go through his legs and right before that kyle burrows almost scored remember when he sort of made that move in went backhand and then slid it right through the five hole and off the post so linus allmark looked really bad and he stopped 36 of 38 (laughs) like what does that say about like the finishing of this team right like he he looked shaky a bunch of pucks were getting through him and they sort of fluked their way out of him and it was a game that was there for the Canucks to take, and they uh, they couldn't do it. And tell me, uh, so a couple of things there. You you feel bad for Halak because I think after that game, the Canucks in, in five games that he played, I, they've scored seven goals from right one one two one two seven goals in five games. That's not yeah. gonna cut it. Uh, you want uh, and Halak played fine. He played except for that first goal. He played fine. The other two that beat him couldn't do anything about it. And you yeah. want him to do well. In his he return. made up for the first goal. He took on forty two shots. And yeah. He let him three goals. That's fine. So then I got to ask you, I know we're going to get to this. Was there ever any history between Marchand and OEL? Because they were going at it, well, it was mostly Mar- one way. It was Marchand going after OEL all game. I don't know if there's yeah. something from before. Marchand was clearly trying to get into things, uh, yeah. and he was effective. He was he had a very effective game, um, yeah. then had that one slew foot that cost him three games, which I was shocked by, to be honest. I was not expecting. I was expecting maybe a fine. Because um, yeah. when I looked at it, it didn't seem particularly egregious to me yeah. um but you look at it in slow-mo and he does kind of like bring the bring the elbow back and shove mm. him over and <laughs> it is technically a slew but i'm just surprised you got three games for it um, you got the reputation uh reputation well, that's, i think that's what they said uh I, yeah. I saw a tweet about it uh basically so they had said like yeah they're, they're taking into account his history 
um, which is surprising because you look at a guy like Subban and what he's been doing this year. He's got like three slew foots under his belt and he's only got fines so far this year. Um, so kind of a weird um, uh, uh, discrepancy there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't know what. Uh, yeah. I don't know what Marchand's beef was with OEL, but at the same time, as much as we hate him and I, we still hate him or I, I can't speak for everyone. I still don't like him from 10 years ago. John Garrett there, hates him. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, there he is with two points at the end of the night. And Bergeron has two points and Pasternak has one. So there's your top three guys have five points, whereas we, I think, Besser had a point and Garland, but then no, nothing from in this game from Horvat, Miller, or Pedersen. So big difference there. Yeah, and, and it's and it comes down to that that third period where the Canucks are trying to protect a one goal lead and they go yeah. and they take some bad penalties. Um yeah. there was Hoaglander who took a tripping penalty. Tyler Mott had a breakaway shorthanded, couldn't capitalize. And yeah. then the Bruins come the other way. And I honestly thought Pasternak scored uh, on that shot. Me too. And then it hit the post and then they scored right after anyways, because everyone was confused. Uh, and then they took another penalty late because uh, OEL boarded uh, Anton bleed. And it was just a bad penalty to take, especially with like five minutes left in the game. You can't be doing that. You can't be giving the refs the ability to give you a penalty. Yeah. Um, Don't and, do that. Uh, and Boston was able to uh, prevail there. Man, that, uh, yeah, the, that OEL penalty at the end, and you can't question that one. It's just, I'm sure you're frustrated, right? Yeah. yeah. With Marchand running at him all night. Yeah. And I mean, I, I also did want to mention there was another goal disallowed at the end because <laughs> they did score an empty netter with like 13 seconds left, uh, but they were offside. So Travis Green, uh, I think, won challenges in back to back games. Wow. That's. <laughs> I know we're going to get to this. I love what you said about Mott. He creates a lot of opportunities with the speed, but he simply doesn't have a lot of finish. Um, we no. missed two breakaways against Boston, one partial, one full. And then tonight he missed the empty net, but we'll, t- we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, some of the big things from this game, right? This is a game that Elias Pettersson basically got benched, didn't come out on the ice with the net empty, which was a pretty big statement. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a game that made it nine out of the last 10 games. The Canucks had lost three points oh. in 10 games. Uh, and I mean, uh, the penalty kill went one for three. Uh, it's, it's all the same stuff we've talked about. It's Elias Pettersson who hadn't been performing. It's the penalty kill that couldn't get anything done. It's a team that is only scoring one to two goals per game. Uh, and it all just sort of culminates in another loss like this. Right. So how are you feeling after last night's game, knowing that they had a quick turnaround yet playing against a team that completely just gutted their head off the front office. I thought Montreal would have a spark tonight. Yeah. Um, I, I genuinely thought that this was the, this is the classic game for the Canucks where it's a team that they should beat the way Montreal's playing and then everyone gets fired in Montreal and the team's going to play with a jump and, and the Canucks are going to be in trouble. Um, but they came out tonight and honestly, it was a fun game. It was the first fun game in a while. Uh, the, <laughs> the game yesterday, I genuinely was just, I was watching it. And I, even when the Canucks were up, because the Canucks were up in the second period and, and early in the third. And mm-hmm. I just knew that it wasn't going to go the Canucks way. Like I just had a bad feeling about it. And I, I wasn't really having fun. This game yeah. was pretty fun, uh, even though only three goals were scored, but it felt fun and the pace was pretty good. And um, it was a, it was a genuinely good time for the first time in a while, even though it was probably meaningless. <laughs> yeah, you have the by points percentage, you have the 29th best team in Vancouver playing against the 30th best team in Montreal, only Arizona and Ottawa are worse from a points percentage standpoint, at least coming into the action and we get to play Ottawa on Wednesday. Awesome. Yeah. You know, that should be, I mean, I think we, when we talked about this road trip to begin with, it was like, all right, they got to beat Montreal and Ottawa. And we were saying the team has to go four and one to stay in things. And uh, I mean, they didn't get any wins from the first three that we knew they had to steal two of, Um, but they come into this game against Montreal uh, and they go there. They start strong. Oh, yeah. first period they, was well, first half. They period. are up in shots. You know, they they they're running up. They get the first seven shots of the game. Uh, then they get the next five after that. Uh, Canucks go to the power play, and and then we see that patented Elias Patterson slap shot from the right faceoff circle that is perfectly placed, far post, just under the bar, basically mm-hmm. unsavable. Uh, it's not his normal spot. His normal spot is like right next to the goalie's ear. Uh, but yes. he went far side instead this time. Uh, yeah. but it was good to see. 
I can't remember. Is I'm trying to picture him. Is Jake Allen a big goalie? He's small or average? I think he's normal size. Normal. And when I say normal size, I mean he's probably like six four. Okay. Uh, okay. He is he's a six two. He's pretty he's pretty small for a goalie, actually. Okay. Okay. So he's not like a Demko or Vasilevsky or anything right. like that. Okay. So maybe obviously every little bit helps. Every inch truly matters. So maybe, you know, he doesn't have that right shoulder to to block that. But yes, it was wonderful to see P and great movement on that power play. I always, I always get a little scared, Parker, when either PD or Miller tr- or Besser tries that cross ice through guys, but uh, they went quickly yeah. around the top. Yeah, yeah. Miller, Hughes, Pedersen, Hughes, Pedersen, Hughes, Miller, Hughes, Pedersen, and it finally went in. Yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, th- those cross ice passes always scare me because uh, they don't work half the time and then it's gone the other way. Um, so, yeah, this is, it was great. We, we saw this, this flash of, you know, classic vintage Elias Pettersson, uh, yeah. which we haven't seen in a while. And I do think his, he looked a little more confident tonight, just throughout the game. Yeah. He drew two penalties, which, you know, he was up there in penalties drawn previously, like around the NHL, like he always draws a lot. Uh, so drew two penalties tonight, which had an impact, including the one that he scored his goal on. Uh, he just had a bit of that swagger back. It felt like now, are you okay with him getting 13 minutes of ice time? Because we know when the Canucks are protecting a lead, like many coaches, Travis Green goes to three lines. And in tonight, he dropped his third line of Pedersen, Podkols, and Dowling. So you have Mott, Chason, and, and uh, Dickinson, Dickinson playing a lot of minutes. And of course, Miller, Besser, Huglander, and Horvat, Pearson, and Garland. So you had those nine guys going through. And PD, I think, barely saw the ice in the along with his line mates. Are you okay with that in a win? I'm more, I care more about Pug Colson at that point, to mm. be honest. I, the way, the way he's been playing, I, I, I think he has been more of an impact player yeah. um, than a, a chase on and, uh, and a Dickinson even. Yeah. Um, he, I, Dowling's been okay, but you know, I, I'd like to see Pug Colson getting a little more time. And, and yeah, I think if I had to pick one of those lines, I, I don't know. I'd, I just, I'd say go like Pedersen, Dickinson, Pud Coles. And if you're trying to protect a lead, even I, I just don't like chase on really out there. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. It's just, it felt, I, I would like to see uh, them get a little more time, but I understand Travis Green's reasoning here, right? Uh, Elias sure. Pedersen has not been playing well. Uh, so maybe he shouldn't be getting as much ice time. And yeah. you definitely want a guy like Tyler Mott out there. Cause he has been uh, a real impactful player. So if you are going to shorten the bench, then I guess it does kind of make sense the uh, mm-hmm. the the route he went based on how his lines were set up to begin with. Right, and to his credit, after the game, I'm not sure you saw this, Parker. PD did say the right thing. Said he just wants to contribute, help the team win, whatever role it is. Um, yeah, but 13 minutes in back-to-back games, not what you'd expect from a guy making 7.3. No, uh, definitely not. But I do want to call attention to you. So after this Pedersen goal, yeah. Uh, and this is something that I think I've complained about the last like six games are these long stretches where the Canucks don't get shots on goal. We've seen yeah. like eight minute stretches, nine minute stretches for the Canucks to go out, out shoot Montreal 12 to one in the first 12 minutes of the game or the first eight minutes of the game. Sorry. 12 to one in the first eight minutes of the game. Yeah. And then score a power play goal and then not get a shot for the rest of the period is absolutely absurd <laughs> to is go that the coaching last... or is that those guys what do you think i don't know at some point it's got to be coaching right like yeah. at some point everything has to go back to whoever's in charge uh, in my opinion but mm. it's just crazy to me that they can go out they can dominate play they can spend the entire first eight minutes of the game in the offensive yep. zone Looks and be so on good. pace be on pace for 30 shots in a period <laughs> and end with the same amount that they had eight minutes in and allow 10 shots the other way um, yeah. or yeah, nine shots the other way at that point. Cause the final was 12 to 10 after one. Yeah. Uh, and then they, so they get a, a shot two minutes into the second, but it's 14 minutes without a shot on goal. Uh, and you know, it's a team that's already struggling to score and you're given, and you're sort of putting pressure on this Montreal defense. Then you're giving them 14 minutes to recover, including an intermission. Uh, <laughs> it's just not really a recipe for success. Montreal's goal was with a minute and a half left. Correct. In the first period. Yeah. Pale so that, was, yep. that was part of the part of the I guess floodgates opening the other way. Yeah, that's a great point, Parker. It, it, whether it's coaching, part of me doesn't thinks that it's not Travis Green saying, "Okay, guys, just uh, don't try and." Uh, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, right. but it it is Jekyll and Hyde or night and day or it's so weird. It's so weird because yeah. they look so good. 
they were it was it i think that's why you said it was fun especially that those first 10 minutes it was fun because they were they were like cycling they were doing give and goes and and shooting and chasing rebounds it, it was fun to watch yeah absolutely and then yeah as we get late into that period with montreal having a bunch of momentum right like i said nine shots in a row basically uh tucker pullman oh oh boy i have oh i mean i was i didn't like the contract when it was signed i will say that yeah, yeah uh, and no, I, I had i had quite a bit of flack in my comments for it like some people were like oh pullman's a great defender or whatever um <laughs> when you're getting hemmed in this much, you need to start playing quite a simple game. Mm -hmm. And what Bo Horvat's doing on this play is he's skating up the wall, waiting for his defender to be ready to make a play. Then you skate across the ice, give your, give the D man a target stick on the ice, very easy pass. And Pullman fires it right at his skates. The but that's not the target, right? This, the target was the, the stick. No, Just yeah. Making sure. the stick. Okay. Yeah. So, there's probably about a six foot difference. Do I have a, do I have my, no, my stick's not in here, but I but mean, I hear look, a hockey picture. stick, the, yeah. the, the hockey sticks that these guys are playing with are probably about five and a half feet long, right? Yeah. Maybe five feet long. Um, at, like it's literally like four feet difference between this, the blade of the stick and this blade of the skate. And Tucker Pullman fired it right at the blade of Horvat's skate. All he can do is you can try to angle it, try to kick it up. But I mean, look, the, they're the best players in the world. It works sometimes. Elias Pettersson's really good at it. You'll see him just do like some weird kicky stuff and it ends up on his stick. Um, yeah. But it hits him sort of in the back of the blade, so you can't really do much with it. And now he has his momentum going the other way. Everyone's going up ice. And Jonathan Drewan's like, oh, a free puck. And he's able to come in and they're two on one. And he basically just fires it across and paling tips it in. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a it's just a, a terrible play and uh, from a player who's been really struggling lately. And it's, it's of course it's fitting that the guy who tips it in for Montreal is the guy that Horvat had to check, but it's not Horvat's fault. Cause as you mentioned, Horvat had all his momentum going across ice and looking to turn up ice, not having to come back. And, Oh yeah. And I can't, I can't remember if, if Pullman was even pressured or if he was, if he could have skated, at least put it off the boards if you're going to do such a bad pass. But yeah, to have it go off of, that's not even close. He's got to see that Horvat's moving one way. Exactly. And you said that mm -hmm. four to six feet going this way. And instead he puts it back that way. <laughs> right. It's a pass that people of like my caliber would make because it, it's tricky, right? Like, you know, you're trying to judge speed and it's a, it's a math equation that your brain is trying to do automatically. Right. Yeah. But when you're an NHL player, it's, you know, it's pretty simple. And I, I think another thing that really stems from this is sort of the Canucks method of breaking out. We've talked about it in the past, but the Canucks breakout always seems like a real challenge. Like we see other teams go like, like three quick passes, they're out and they're moving down ice. Yeah. Um, but I mean, a lot of the times for the Canucks, we're seeing the last man back having to make a pass up the center <laughs> ice. Right. Yes. And I mean, you're just sort of asking for trouble there. Right. Cause you're, you're trying to fire it into a, a crowd basically and hope your guy comes up with it. And so yeah. while the pass was really bad and it is entirely on Tucker Pullman that that pass was bad. Uh, I, I think the breakout sort of plan as a whole is flawed from the beginning and, and, you know, having people come back down low and, and build yes. up momentum this way. And, you know, Pass to the winger, center does a little U, and you go one, two, and you're out. Yes. And then another pass to the far wing or other wing and follow your passes and you move up ice and everything's fine. Um, but forcing yourself to make these 30 to 50 foot passes, um, you know, you're you're asking for trouble. That's a great point. You often see really good teams. You're you're right, they work in triangles. They they go defenseman to winger, then that quick tip pass to the middle where the center, you're right, has has momentum already, and boom, you're over the blue line already, you're safe. I don't know if the Canucks forwards intentionally blow the zone and, and make the defenseman have to decide is he going to go left to right or is he going to go up? Is, yeah, I don't know. I don't right. know. Right, and like, sure, there, there can be a bit of payoff, right? You can have you can move up the ice faster, but if something goes wrong, suddenly you have a two-on-one or a three-on-two coming <laughs> right back at you, uh, and it can result directly in goals like we saw here. <sighs> okay, so it's 1-1. One, one. Heading to the second. Yeah. And then the Canucks come out and they get 13 shots in the first eight minutes of this period. Yeah. Uh, actually in sort of that six minute window there. Um, and part of that is Connor Garland uh, scoring. And this was a great play from Horvat. 
Yes. Um, to basically see the defenseman going around the boards like they always do. The other defenseman has gone behind the goal line to be an outlet pass if he needs to sort of shovel it behind the net, uh, which basically means the centerman of Montreal is the only person who's really able to come back and cover the slot. So Horvat goes and takes sort of that left left wall out. Uh, I don't know if he yelled for it. I don't know if he did a little stick tap. Yeah. Uh, either way, the defenseman made a bad play and, and sort of tried to cycle it up the wall yeah. right to Horvat, who knew Garland was in front. The centerman hadn't come back yet, so he was all by himself in front of the net. Uh, and he just tipped it up uh, upstairs, and it's yeah, two one. I'm with you, and actually, I think uh, no, your explanation was perfect. I actually think it was Josh Anderson, uh, winger for for Montreal, that actually was the one who who. Yeah, but I you're right. He was the guy back. Yeah, yeah, but Pearson was Pearson was angling Anderson off, and then Anderson does that back pass, and Horvat is waiting for it. That's uh, you're exactly right, and it's very isn't it kind of similar to the Montreal goal, where it's a quick pass from the side, and then the tip in, and the goalie had no chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at it again, and I can see. So yeah, Anderson goes back, and Pearson puts is putting pressure on, and then you have the other defense or one of the defensemen oh. on the far side yep. behind the net. But then the the near side defenseman who Anderson's sort of covering for Jeff Petrie also is sort of going behind the net. So all three, by the time Horvat touches the puck, we have one defenseman in the far corner, Jeff yep. Petrie in the near corner. And yeah. Josh Anderson behind the net. So all right. three Montreal guys are below the goal line. And the only one in front of the net is Connor Garland. Beautiful. Uh, so he's all by himself. He's so good, man. He's so he's good. He's so good. Uh, and I, I, you notice it just, and I noticed it a lot in this, in the Boston game, the one play he made on Frederick, where oh. he just did a little like quick, quick U-turn and suddenly had seven feet of separation. That's uh, that's me when I play hockey, but I'm Frederick, unfortunately. <laughs> and I mentioned on my post game uh, today about how I would go back and watch like if you if you Google like Sidney Crosby edge work and mm. you'll get these like YouTube compilations of him just behind the net just like cutting around people and it's like and like his skates are doing this and it's like super impressive. Connor Garland does a very similar thing where he's so quick he's so quick to turn and he's so quick to move the puck from one side of his body to the other okay. that every time he just does a quick little turn, even if he's gaining like half a step on somebody and then like right as this person's recovering, he turns back the other way and he's just gone and he's so shifty uh, and it's, and it opens up so much uh, for his line mates, especially. Yeah. Do you remember that play in the third period where he was, I, I think it was a third because yes, they're going left to right. Cause I remember behind the net, he kept the puck for about 10 seconds himself mm-hmm. doing exactly what you just said, going one way, you know, he's so fast and shifty. He could be going one way. And the puck's going that way. He can cut the other way without the puck and then come back and he can go get the puck again. Like, he's yeah. so good. Yeah, he's, he's so good. very impressive. Although I was in the car driving to to my uh, you know, my relative's house for a birthday. And I think was did he give the puck? Did you see it? Did, was there one really bad giveaway that he did in the second, maybe where uh, I did you notice? Watched, yeah, okay. I just heard uh, uh the guys on the radio talking about it, but mm, maybe I perfect, uh, I didn't yeah. have any notes on it. Okay. Um Third period, though, uh, a yep. couple of penalties uh, yeah. both ways. Um, bad penalty from Kyle Burrows that I really didn't like. Uh, sort of the classic uh, guy dumps the puck in. You sort of stand in his way as interference. And the refs call that every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the Canucks survive them both. Two penalty kills. Uh, Amazing. And, and Tyler Mott misses the empty net. And the Canucks win. The, okay. So you know how we talked about their, the Canucks were winning 2-1 heading the third in Boston. And both you and I, we've intimated that we just had a feeling that was a game they're going to lose. Yeah. Did you have that feeling today? No, I no. actually like. I genuinely, I, I, I was feeling like I was kind of upbeat going to the third period. I was yeah. feeling good about it. Um, and I mean, look, the Canucks dominated the second period. Right, shots yeah. were twenty-one to eleven. Possession was in the offensive zone most of the time. Again, not a lot of high danger chances. Um, mm. If you look at like the expected goals on like natural stat trick it's dead even until 10 seconds left when Tyler Mott missed the empty net and the Canucks went up by half an expected goal. But other than that, it was like 2.2 to 2.2. So the Canucks with like 42 shots only had 2.2 expected goals, which tells you a lot of where these shots were coming from, right? Right. Wristers from the point. I think uh, Canucks defenseman had like 14 of the 42 shots tonight. Mm. Any regular player would have an expected goals of a certain value. What Tyler Mott on the empty net is even lower. Like it was so bad. It was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. He just hit the side of it uh, pretty rough. And I think he did it again from the side of the net. It was, he doesn't have the finish, but he does have the effort. 
uh, which is the hustle. And we certainly, uh, is it a coincidence that our, well, it's not like our penalty kills world beaters. Are we still, what's the latest average? Are we still in the low sixties? Uh, what'd they do tonight? They go, they allow for two. They went two for two. They went two for two. two. Big upgrade. Uh, but they went one for three last game. Um, I, I think that, I think when I checked yesterday, they were at like 63%. So maybe they um, went, went up one today. Oh, pulling man. it up, PK. Thing is, we're so far into the season now that like two penalty kills doesn't really move the needle. Yes, sixty three point four. Montreal's is next worst at sixty eight point one. Okay, so four and a half percent still. Okay, so not good. Okay, did it was a little bit hairy the last five minutes. There was I think mm-hmm. one shift where. The guys were, were stuck out there, then they iced the puck kind of thing, but that, that always yeah. happens. Demko yeah. had to make that save on Sherratt, uh, yeah. where Sherratt basically picked up the rebound and sort of hesitated, trying to wait for the opening, and Demko just didn't let him have anything, stacked yeah. the pads. Um, yeah. That was the really big one. But yeah, Montreal did put pressure on late. Uh, I think they had all the shots in the last couple of minutes. But uh, yeah, the Canucks survive it. They get their first yeah. win in five games. Uh, they wow. They get their first win on the road in a while. Yes. Uh, it's a, it, it was a much, a much needed, just a moral win. Yeah. Um, that wasn't actually just a moral victory, I guess it was a real one. Uh, but it was nice to, uh, nice to get one on the board. And Demko makes 33 saves tonight. Parker, do you think he had rough outings against boss, uh, Pittsburgh and Columbus? Um, not necessarily. I, it okay. wasn't like, he, it wasn't like he was like noticeably like letting bad goals in. Um, I, I think in the Columbus one, I noted, like, I think the one Columbus goal where he let out a pretty bad rebound, I think it was, it was either Nyquist or Boquist because they yeah. scored. I don't remember which one was which, um, one of the quists. I yeah. think it was Boquist that pinched in and, and scored on a sort of a bad rebound, but that was like the only real one. A lot of it was really just defensive issues, uh, in my opinion. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So what, so we've won two out of our last 10 now, not just one. Yeah. Uh, Two out of our last 11 as well. <laughs> but there are some positive. Demko, Garland, two for two on the penalty kill, one for two on the power play. So decent decent special teams for once. And they get yeah. a team on Wednesday that's even worse than this team. In theory, yes. Um, yeah. Now, unfortunately, all of, the, all of the blurbs that I have to come up on screen, none of them are positive. Okay. Um, so this is your last chance. Anything else fun and happy you want to say about the team? Fun and happy, guys. If he has to think this long, things are bad. No, yeah, no. Let's <laughs> let's keep on going, brother. Let's keep on. All going. right. Uh, first big one, and we're we're sort of sticking with these last four games. Canucks have seven goals on this four game <laughs> road trip. They like no wonder they're losing, right? Sure, they're getting thirty to forty shots a night, sometimes more. Um, but we saw one goal against Pittsburgh. Two yeah. goals against Columbus, two goals against Boston, two, uh, only two goals against Montreal. Uh, this is a team that cannot score, even with all these shots. And I mean, a lot of them are coming from the perimeter. Um, I mean, what do you think's going on here? Why can't they get the puck to go into the net? Oh, how much time do we got? No, I think um, one of them is they simply aren't drawing a lot of penalties. So they're not going the power play a lot. And obviously you have, a, in theory, maybe not for the Cucks power play, but you have a better chance of scoring five on four then you have five on five i know the so they're not getting a lot of power play chances and when they do often unless not tonight though they don't convert i know their their shooting percentage overall isn't i heard it's crazy crazy low six or seven percent i think as a Mm -hmm. team that's ridiculous yeah but it doesn't does it really surprise you that much like just the way they play like what i like you know all of these shots are feeling pretty low percentage i feel like there's no flashy great plays that happen right like yeah. when's the last time we saw someone make like a great individual effort to score a goal it's just it, it feels like it's not happening or there's not like a like even like how many odd man rushes are the canucks getting a game like two maybe yeah. like the canucks aren't creating these high danger chances if you like natural statric tracks high danger chances every game and you look at it it's like even games where the canucks are heavily out shooting other team that's pretty even right high danger chances tonight uh, at all situations were 11 to eight in favor of Montreal. Wow. Um, wow. Right. The Canucks just aren't going out there and producing these really dangerous plays. And you're right when they don't, and when they do actually create 
odd man rushes, they rarely convert. They rarely convert. Often they're, they're if it's Besser, for instance, on two and one, you know he's going to rocket a pass so hard that the guy on the other side is not going to be able to. I, I just think Besser is a really bad. I like him, but I think he's a bad passer. A lot of times they don't convert. Yeah, it's right. And yeah, when we rarely get breakaways, and and when we do, we don't really convert on those either. Yeah, it's tough. They, there's they're not dynamic enough. That's for sure. But then yeah. I was just gonna say. But remember uh, Pearson's goal against Allmark yesterday, and the one today that actually got disallowed, or um, or was it, they they blew the whistle down. Those were mucky muck goals, and I think we need more of those somehow. But do we have enough guys that will do that aside from Pearson? Yeah, I think you need both at <laughs> this point. You need, <laughs> need both. I mean, I'm gonna pull up. I'm gonna pull up. It's gonna cover our faces, but sure. this is the shot map from tonight's game. Um, there's a bit of a hot spot in f- like right in front for the Canucks, right? That blue, that blue dot there. But look at how much is going on all around, all over the place, right? Mm. Like no shots from the slot is what I'm seeing here, right? Like a handful from really in tight, which is usually like rebounds and stuff. And yeah, like looks like one shot between the hash marks, but anything like high slot, nothing's being generated there, but all over the outside of the uh, outside of the zone, we're seeing these, uh, we're seeing these shots come through and it's just, nothing's really high danger. We're not seeing like, like passes leading to great chances or anything. It's, uh, yeah. it's not really conducive to great offense. By the way, that graphic reminded me of, Remember when you looked through those microscopes in science and you saw these blobs Kinda, yeah. and you had to <laughs> So just so I, I'm aware and so everyone else is aware, where the Canucks logo is, that's them shooting at that net, right? That's Correct. offense. Yes, okay. So I see what you're saying. There's three big white patches. <laughs> yeah, right in good scoring chances, at least, you know, right around yeah. the the heart of the Canucks logo there. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. And that takes the Canucks to the Bottom of the Pacific. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the wow. Seattle Kraken on a bit of a run right now. They've won four of their last five. They took down Buffalo seven to four today. And uh, the Canucks are not treading water anymore. Uh, they are well below the water um, as they are uh, in last place. Isn't it interesting how the two seafaring animals of the Pacific are actually at the bottom of the Pacific in a Kraken and well, yeah, the sharks are. In oh, that's fifth. true. And yeah, ducks that, can that, be in the water too. Yeah, that wasn't the best analogy, but There's I hear what you're saying. Water <laughs> so we were ahead of Seattle for quite a little bit, um, but we're battling, even though they had a big 7-4 win over Buffalo. So we're still battling. We're still behind them. All right, and hey, the Canucks are only seven points out of a playoff spot. Now, Colorado has five games in hand, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they are only eight points behind Vegas, who has two games in hand. Uh, so it's doable. Well, in all seriousness, because I, you know, glass half full, that's me. Um, the Canucks do have 10 out of 15 at home in December. 10 out of 15, just saying. And if you take away the Ottawa game, which is on Wednesday, December 1st, 10 out of 14 remaining December are at home, including that six-game homestand that's coming up. So I'm not saying they're going to go win 10 out of 10 at home, but imagine if they go four or five games above 500 at home imagine just imagine then they're almost back to 500 almost so now at home is great but those teams are the pittsburgh penguins yes yes uh one of the teams is the boston bruins carolina's in there the winnipeg jets who the canucks are notoriously unable to beat uh, typically carolina columbus toronto who is the hottest team in the nhl right now yeah uh there's some other ones though they got the coyotes they got the Kings, who's better than the Canucks. They've got yeah. uh, Seattle. Yeah. Uh, so things are looking up. <laughs> right? Well, we should be able to smoke Toronto, Carolina, and, and Winnipeg, and, and Pittsburgh. Of course. Easy, or Boston, easy. Of yeah. course. Um, <laughs> so this all leads me to one of the things I want to talk about, and that is uh, Travis Green. Uh, and sort of the whole scenario going on around Travis Green because we have been sort of, you know, people like let's say Canucks Nation as a whole has been kind of pushing for the end of the Travis Green era. Um and I've run polls, we've run polls, everyone's run polls and typically it is at least lately it is it is very low approval ratings for Travis Green. Um to the point 
where leaks are coming out or at least, you know, things are being reported media everywhere saying uh, the Canucks are basically doing a bunch of searching, right? They're looking for coaching candidates. They might be looking for GM candidates. They're doing all this stuff. They're, they're looking at guys like Claude Julian at one point and all these names, right? Meanwhile, Travis green is still the only one that is a public facing voice of this hockey team, right? Yeah. Travis green. Again, you can disagree with his coaching all you want. Uh, and you know, I, again, I am a proponent of getting a new coach in, um, but Travis green, the person, <laughs> could you imagine you're basically being told or you're not being told, but it's being leaked. You're hearing, you're seeing on Twitter <laughs> that, oh yeah, your boss is they're They're just fine. They're going to fire you. They just have to find the right person first. Uh, oh, yeah. by the way, um, yeah, there's some drama going on. We need you to run this press conference. Uh, and after every game, you're the person going out and being the lead guy on this press conference. Oh, why are you losing all these games? You know, go out and talk to the media and be questioned. Oh, will we do? Will we send the GM out there? No, no, no. He he's too busy for that. Uh, owner, no, no. The owner doesn't talk to the media. Um, and and Travis Green, with basically one foot out the door, is being forced to still be the media spout for this team. He's handling it very well. I'll give him that. I I just really disagree with uh, sort of this whole situation. I'm with you 100%. And I think a lot of people in our, our chat, by the way, over 100 of you in here, which is in here right now, which is awesome. Hit the like button while you're here. But I was going to say, it reminds me, Parker, of the end of last season when he didn't have his contract extension. I, I get it. Different scenarios. But same vibe was he was on his kind of on his death march or you didn't know what was happening. He didn't know what was happening. And yet there he was before and after every single game and every single practice having to meet the media. He probably would have had to meet the media if he didn't. He, he wasn't one of the ones suffering from COVID the worst, right? Two years ago. he's They always trot him out because Aquilini has done one media availability since he's been here. And Benning only comes in when he has to absolutely speak and when the... The, when the team's on fire. So I agree with you, Parker, that it's a tough situation. It, I, it gives, yeah, no matter what we you, we might think of his coaching, you got to give him respect, give him props for being so professional, trying to be friendly enough and, and pleasant to the media when you know just inside he, it must be eating him up. And he asks the same questions, the same people every single day. It's a tough gig, whether or not you think he's doing good or not, but you have to respect the way he's handling himself for sure. Yeah. It's an impossible situation, right? Yes. And it's not a situation he's put himself in, but I mean, I I'm sure he's looking out of the perspective of, well, I got to go out there and do it because like, he's not going to go out there and be like, yeah, they're trying to fire me and all this stuff and, and cause a scene. Right. Cause he's, again, this is all an audition for his next gig, uh, which we've heard uh, is like, he, he will have a gig. Oh right? yeah. There are, there are people looking for uh, at green as a potential coach. Uh, in the future. So um, yeah, I just sort of, I, I just think it's, it's just kind of Bush league. And I, I think we sort of mentioned <laughs> that before the show, like it's, it, it's a pretty bad look and Travis green, like for having a, a general manager, who's, you know, seemingly got full support from ownership and has been behind the, behind the desk for, you know, coming up on eight years now, Travis green's always been the guy when anything happens, right. The, the mm -hmm. COVID whole situations, uh, mm -hmm. like when Miller and Ben were out early in the season, uh, last year before the, before the, um, the sort of bubble season, uh, it was Travis green talking about that. Uh, even the other COVID situation it was Travis green talking about that. The Jake for Tannen situation. It was Travis green coming out and having to talk about that. Not Jim. Great. Ben, great right? point. Like they have constantly just thrown Travis green to the wolves and made him be the mouthpiece of things that he shouldn't really have to be the mouthpiece for. And now he's literally got a foot out the door because they're there. It has been publicized that they're searching for their, his replacement. And he's still the guy that has to go out there and take all this on. Is there any walking back from that Parker? Do you think somehow I'm not saying this is right, but if the Canucks rattle off a few wins or is that just kicking the can further down the road, so to speak? <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things that I, I mean, like, do you think Travis green really wants to be here at the, like when, <laughs> it, when it's like that, right? Like when it's been like, if you were, if it was literally coming out that your job, like people were getting interviewed to replace you. Like yeah. I I'm, I'm out there. I'm sending resumes out. Like I I'm, yeah. I'm putting feelers out. I'm trying to see where I'm going to land. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so mm -hmm. 
I mean, for him, I, I think it's a relationship that will just get fractured uh, more yeah. and more. I don't yeah. know how good his relationship is with with ownership and management. Obviously, we don't we don't hear from management or ownership, so it's kind of tough to know. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just unfortunate. <sighs> so do you? <laughs> so here's an interesting question: Do you feel sorry for Green? Yeah, do you feel sorry for him? I feel sorry he's been put in the situation he has been. I mean, look, okay. uh, we can we can we can criticize his coaching style and and his results all we want. Yeah. I mean, do you think he's trying to lose? Of course not, right? Like he's no. he's doing his best, and I, I I don't see him as a guy who's going out there and like phoning it in and not trying things. Right? <laughs> he's out there putting lines in a blender four shifts into a game. Right? He's yeah. he's trying. He's working. He's trying and it's not working. Um, and uh, for that, you know, obviously, uh, really, I really like Travis Green as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mm-hmm. think he's a he's a great leader. He's a good he's I, I see why they put him in front of the media instead of, you know, someone like Jim Benning. He's a much better speaker. Uh, mm-hmm. He's more personable. He gets along with a lot of the media. So, uh, yeah, uh, I I do kind of feel bad for him. Me, too. Do you feel bad for Jim Benning? Um, it's harder to, I guess. Because I kind of do. I kind of do. Person on a person wise, I think he's probably like he seems like a really good person. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's that's what it comes down to, right? As long as you're not a, a, a bad guy, I mean, I <laughs> I don't want like I don't want him to lose his job because I want a guy to lose his job. I want him to lose his job so that the millions of Canucks fans can be happier. Um and. And it's not like he hasn't made a, a ton of money and he's very successful and he's going to have mm-hmm. jobs elsewhere, right? He's going to land an AGM role somewhere in two yeah. years, right? Uh, so, yeah, I, I just think it's time for change. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we kind of mentioned the media. Do you want to do this? Sure. Let's <laughs> let's do it. The media wars. Um, do you want to drop the backstory? I, yeah, I could do it. I could start off and please fill it in. Sure. Um, the two players I think we're talking about, Parker, are Matt Sakaris of Sakaris and Price, recently of TSN 1040, but never made it over to Sportsnet 650. Rather, they started their own podcast, their own show every day. And Ian McIntyre, longtime Sportsnet reporter. And about a week ago, there there's a picture that came out with Aquilini and Ian McIntyre in an airport hangar, right? Terminal, not a hangar. Yep. They weren't out on the tarmac. They're, yeah. They're- <laughs> They're in a terminal getting off a plane, right? And it looks like they're walking together. Is that fair to say, Parker? Yep. Or yeah. getting on a plane. One of the two. Yeah, one of the two. One of the two. So then leading more to the, you know, the reputation that some people have or the the idea that Ian McIntyre is in the Canucks back pocket is, you know, always team positive, team, you know, team reporter, that kind of thing. And then it got to a point where Sakaris basically said, uh, well, it, there was a game. It was in Columbus where... Ian McIntyre and Dan Murphy were not in Columbus. Rather, they did they flew to a studio in Toronto and did their pregame intermission and postgame from there because they couldn't have find studio space in Columbus. Matt Sakaris tweets out uh, something about. Do you have the tweet close? Something about. I it, don't. It, surprising that uh, the Canucks diarist. So he didn't say writer. He doesn't say reporter. He says surprising that Canucks diarist can't even get into the arena in Columbus or something to the. But the the fact is he called Ian McIntyre a Canucks diarist. Ian McIntyre right. tweets back and says, you know, um, look what you become. Well, even, Matt- even before yeah. this, yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple days before this, uh, Matt Sakaris also said reports that there is this rift in the Canucks yes. dressing room. And he, now he never says rift and he was very clear on his own show after this, that he never said there was a rift. However, he did say that players were taking sides and Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat were on one side mm-hmm. and JT Miller was on the other. Sounds like a rift to me. Then the following day at a press conference, Travis Green basically says it's ridiculous. Bo Horvat's like joking around. He's like, oh, I guess me and JT got to go work things out in the dressing room at like the end of his press conference. Good response, honestly. Um, and then so that's when Ian McIntyre sort of does the look what you've become. Yes. Okay. So I got it here. Matt Sakaris' original tweet. How can iMac perform his role as Canucks diarist when he's in a Toronto studio? Is Sportsnet not traveling with the team anymore? Ian McIntyre writes back, you know, Matt, you were not long ago, a serious journalist. Take a look at what you become. I stopped calling people names around grade seven. I'm not engaging you for sport. I reached out to you when you lost your job. So you have my number. 
So that was that was that's pretty crazy. A, honestly, that's a pretty sick response. <laughs> like the shade of being like, yeah, I had like I I reached out to you when you were at your low point. Yeah, uh, like that's some good shade. I uh, I respect that. And then two days later, so it was the weekend. So maybe Matt Sakaris had other things to do. He finally writes back, and I'm just looking for it right now. And he, his reply to iMac was, "What I've become? Look what you've become, iMac." Somewhere between publicist and propagandist, wheels up with the owner, i.e., that picture with Aquilini, which doesn't he posted make you in the tweet. <laughs> yes, doesn't make you a serious journalist. It makes you the establishment's journalist. Give my best to your travel companion. I mean, let's be real. Uh, it's good shade all around. Uh, iMac with a good sort of you know shade about um, how he was there for him. Uh, Sakaris with the good clapback with the owner, uh, whole thing. I think it's good drama. And it was the point where this all sort of happened after um, after a loss, and it was way more entertaining than the game itself. Uh, and I think lots of people on Twitter kind of latched to it and, and enjoyed it. Yes. Um, when it comes to like taking a side, and I know you said <laughs> you wouldn't because I know you you've interviewed both of them and yeah. uh, and you know you you at least you know, I haven't. Um, but I mean, it's kind of hard for me to take a side here, right? I mean, they're kind of both right, <laughs> right? Like they're both they're both over they're both being a bit over the top about it but uh yeah imac has been consistently a little bit um maybe a little bit lenient on the canucks and a little mm -hmm. supportive of um and sort of pushing the ownership um mo so to speak uh and matt sakaris has consistently had rumors coming out that have been unsubstantiated right so i think both of them are right <laughs> about yeah. each other and both are being kind of childish about it uh because i bet one phone call could have easily solved all of this without you know drumming up all this drama but um yeah. i don't know it's a, it's fun for us i know and we had a nice chuckle as we were setting up for this show tonight and yes i've been blessed to interview both of them i've known matt scaris for a little bit longer but I can see where he rubs people the wrong way, but he's always been first class to me. And I can only speak about my own right. dealings. And Ian McIntyre, I know him not as well. I wasn't sure about him. I know even Botchford and him went back and forth. Back, yeah. You know, God rest Botchford's soul. But they would go back and forth. Botchford accusing iMac of being house radio or house guy. But um, when I got to know Ian McIntyre, he lives two minutes from me. In fact, I parked outside of his house before, not to stalk him, but to record a Don't vlog. Don't dox him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. But uh, and he's been uh, first class to me as well. So I'm not going to take a side anyways, because that's not my style. But I, I would say you, you nailed it correctly, Parker. It, while it's fun and entertaining, it's really not the best look. And now we already have a bad rep of Canucks fans fighting with each other. We don't need Canucks media fighting with one another yeah it is at least entertaining um <laughs> that is that is for sure and as someone on the outside we're outside the establishment uh it is just uh it is just pretty fun <sighs> all right um we are at almost 11 o'clock get some quick questions in guys okay. uh we we took a long time going over the games and sort of the sadness that has been going on the last little while well, uh, four games, four games. It was four games. It was. And we're going to have, I think we're going to have four more. Do you, Oh, maybe not. Cause they go like uh, no, Wednesday, 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 Saturday, yeah. Monday. Right. Right. So we'll have a Canucks game to talk about. That one will be interesting. Cause that game's at seven. We'll have to see what we do there. Um, but we'll make it work. We'll figure Oh, shucks. It. I was going to talk to you about that. <laughs> Cause I'm at that one. Oh, all right. Well, sorry. Well, I, <laughs> We'll definitely have to figure something out then. <laughs> um, so stay okay, what, what, tuned to our Twitters. <laughs> and uh, I don't have our Twitters on the screen right now. Uh, let's do that one. Uh, our Twitters are up there uh, and in the description. Stay tuned to those. And stay tuned to the community tab on the Canucks After Dark page. Because I will uh, I'll post whenever we do it. Whether it's late Monday or Tuesday or Sunday or whatever we end up doing. Um, yeah. We'll figure it out. We always do. You know, I could get, I could be online by 10 from my office and I'll just tell Gil who goes to the game with me just to go take a nap for an hour. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> we can also just push it a little later. Okay. That's always get, fine. Let me get home. Sure. Sure. We'll we will, out. uh, we'll figure something out. All right. Let's get some quick questions. Um, 
Go, Evander Kane. Go, go. Evander Kane. Think? Yeah, we were gonna. I, I had this on the list, but we sort of ran out of time. Yeah. Um, Evander Kane. Uh, if he was fifty percent retained, really good player. Uh, really not great person, especially with all of the with how much this management group has preached character, character. Yeah. Bo Horvat, uh, meat and potatoes. Like these guys that are good in the room. Brock Besser, like an, an outstanding people. Uh, then to go out and get Evander Kane would go right in the face of that. And I think they literally specifically said, uh, I think Thomas Drance came out with it and said like, yeah, it's a no-go. Like it's not yeah. happening. Not um, the same player, not the same situation, but we, we just think of what the Jake Vertanen situation happened. You don't want right. someone with questionable character. But Edmund did say, do you think he plays with another team in the NHL this season? I think so. I mean, you yeah. have teams that, out there that are that are okay with, making those sorts of moves see yeah. Montreal at the draft, although they have now gotten rid of everyone sort of involved with that mm-hmm. um, trade you know, for him close to playoff time, maybe. Right. And obviously there was sort of the, a lot of drama around like Tony D'Angelo and the Canes still went out and grabbed him. And there's a lot of guys out there that have had sort of that questionable character. Uh, Brendan Lemieux <laughs> biting hands out here. Uh, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll find a place to play because uh, yeah. he's still, you know, probably a 50 point player. Yes. So I'm with you. Nope. Don't want him here. Um, any other good ones in here? Uh, Dexter saying who would win in a physical fight? <laughs> Sakaris or IMAC? Uh, I think IMAX got it. I think he's, I think he's spry. I think he's nimble. Yeah. And Sakaris, um, he had his health issue where he talked about his, his lung issue, right? That's why he was, Oh, I'm not going to have the stamina. That could be, yeah. It. I think um, I'd have to go with the iMac as well. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else we want here? There's a lot of comments and I missed most of them because uh, I was. Uh, oh, we were, very... we were talking up a storm tonight. We were. Um, anything else we want? Anything you're seeing here? Uh, not a not a question that I saw, but it's it's a topic that's kind of around. Do you like JT Miller's? passion and his f-bombs per 60 and his pouting yet his his enthusiasm do you like it do you like i it? i do and i i think i think i wouldn't if he was a 25 point player um yeah. but sometimes he shows that he's the only one on the team who cares it seems like <laughs> and, and at least you know what you're getting right you at least have right you look at so you look at you know elias Patterson as an example and lots of people are seeing it as like oh he's disengaged he got his money and he's he's doesn't care anymore which i don't think is the case yeah. um but i mean you never think that with jt miller he wants to win uh, and he's gonna show you <laughs> yep i'm with you i'd much rather have a guy who cares and who's who might make a bad pass once a blue moon or or, or have a disapproving look once in a while than someone who's apathetic just collecting his paycheck and doesn't really care about his his teammates or his team it, he's he obviously does and that's why it's gonna be so fascinating i know we can get into this another show what they're gonna do with him We've got one more yeah. year left on a 5.25 a really great contract he's gonna make a pretty sweet playoff performer for a team either he is for two a years great or one rental year. Yeah. option i know i know but we got a lot of time to deal with that yep uh last thing i wanted last thing i had on the list here uh you want to do a little jake debrusque talk yeah. Is this guy good? He's well, he had a good first couple of years. I think it was like 40 to 45 points. Didn't play full seasons, like a 50 point pace in his first two seasons. Okay. Uh, but I think last year was pretty rough for him uh, and uh, doesn't have a good relationship with the coach at all. And is basically not getting ice time at this point. Oh, is that what it is? Uh, 17 games, three goals, three assists so far this year. So a pretty rough start uh, mm. for Boston. Uh, but you know, it could be one of those things where a fresh start uh, could sort of give a boost. Uh, I had someone asking, you know, what about like a Tanner Pearson for Jake DeBrusque sort of move, yeah. uh, which would be pretty appealing to me, right? You get younger, you get a guy who uh, could be a decent reclamation project. I don't know. Uh, very similar contracts, although Tanner Pearson is for longer. Uh, DeBrusque makes just under 3.7. Uh, he's mm-hmm. an RFA this offseason. Um, but definitely an interesting... Uh, an interesting one, man. And it goes back to that. He was one of those guys in that draft that Boston picked. Yeah. Three in a, I just looked it up three in a row. Yeah. They, they could have had literally, <laughs> they could have just gone Barzal, Connor, Shabbat oh. done. And they, and th- that was like, that was the consensus was that they yep. should have done that at the time. And they went Zborl, 
who has played 52 NHL games, DeBrusque, who's played 260, and Seneshin, who's played 14. Isn't that um, crazy? Barzell, Connor, Shabbat, or you can skip them, go X, Erickson, Eck, Besser, Konechny, yeah. Roslovich. There's some good players there. There's a lot of good players. Uh, Sebastian Ajo was oh, in the second oh, round oh, there. Oh, like uh, Mackenzie oh. Blackwood. Like there's a lot of good players that they just missed all of them. So hmm. uh, DeBrusque could be a, a pretty decent. I think if I remember correctly, I thought the Canucks were interested in DeBrusque during the Besser draft. I thought I heard, but Oh, uh, he didn't fall that far. Uh, I think they had Besser higher, but I think that he was one of the guys that they liked. Um, nice. So there might be, and you know, sort of the whole, I don't know. They like Boston, I guess. Yeah. Well, look who we had as our GM there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. That is it for us. I think thank you to all of you who tuned in tonight. Uh, over a hundred of you in here about 450 stopped by at some point. Thank you guys all wow. very much for tuning in. If you want to hit that like button, we'd appreciate it. See if we can get up to like 50 or so. And if mm. you're not subscribed to the show, Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Click the subscribe button. You can also find both of us on YouTube, Parker's Pucks, Canuck Clay. Same thing on Twitter. Um, what else was I going to plug? Uh, oh, if you missed any part of the show, feel free to rewind back to the beginning. It's YouTube. You can just slide that bar back, uh, or you can watch it tomorrow, or you can find it on your favorite podcast platform about 20 to 30 minutes after the show. It's pretty quick. Uh, so if you need something easy listening as you go to bed tonight and you want to be sad, as you sleep, uh, listening about us talk to us talk about the Canucks, uh, that is something you can definitely do, or just listen to it anyways on yeah. mute because it helps us need, out. Yeah, if, or if you need help falling asleep, you know, great option. Yes, that is a great option. All right, <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap up. Clay, any parting words? Yeah, well, in all seriousness, it's nice to see the Canucks win. Does it del- maybe all it does is delay a couple of decisions here and there? They have a chance to go two in a row playing against a very weak Ottawa team on Wednesday. And then, yeah, that murderous row of really tough teams, six straight home games, but all against pretty good opponents. So it's going to be interesting two weeks. And I'm sure once we figure out what time we're getting together next Monday, we will have a lot to talk about for sure. Any predictions, Parker, for those three games? We got uh, Ottawa. Then we have Pittsburgh Pittsburgh and and LA. Pittsburgh and LA at home. Uh... I'm going to guess that you're going to say one, one, and one. Cause that's the cop out answer. Nope. Two, one. You're going two and one confident. Oh, yeah. Wow. You say oh, they yeah. beat LA. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, and three. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're about equal likelihoods. I think okay, they probably go one and two, but okay. I'm going to go. Oh, and three. Uh, Cause Just, it's more fun. All right. Sounds good. Not, it's not actually more fun. It's a more fun opinion though. Um, <laughs> And with that, thank you guys every thank you guys very much for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next week.